Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Hendrickis, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really delighted to welcome Myra Jolivet to the podcast today. During her career in television news, Myra created Emmy Award-winning special reports and investigations and told stories of true crime. But her love of traditional and cozy mysteries motivated her to write the Sarah Doucette Jean-Louis mystery series. The stories are based in the San Francisco Bay Area and give a nod to Myra's childhood growing up in the progressive Berkeley, California with conventional Louisiana Creole parents. The UC Berkeley Bancroft Library has included Myra's mysteries in their local author's collection. Myra has appeared on Geraldo Rivera's true crime show, Murder and the family, which tells the stories of celebrities who have been victimized by crime. She's also appeared in segments of the TV One crime series, For My Man, a reality show about women who commit crimes for the men in their lives. Myra credits Sisters in Crime and its chapters with providing the tools and environment for women to hone their writing skills and to enter a supportive crime writing community. Myra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a joy talking to you anyway. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have fun. Yeah, Myra and I have had a wonderful opportunity to to have several great conversations, but I'm thrilled that we're going to share this one. And we're definitely going to talk about the true crime stuff because so many of us listeners are interested. But I want to start this podcast, as I always do, and ask you when you told yourself, I want to write a novel. You've been a storyteller as a journalist for your career, but when did you say, I want to write a novel? Yeah, and I was a I was a little kid storyteller. You know, I was that kid with invisible friends and we'd put on performances in the backyard. Seriously. I, you know, and, and I was in a house full of people. And that's a, the doctor told my mom, usually it's an only child who would do that. But you know, my mom was good with it. Jenny Lynn stayed with me until I finally went to school. Um, you know, I guess I didn't need her at that point, but she and I did a lot of plays and things. And I had a very nurturing elementary school that allowed me to write a play for a school assembly and they performed it. And I was Uh. maybe 10. And, you know, so I, I, I always had that kind of that creative thing. And I used to perform, I used to sing, I used to do these different things, but, um, writing a novel came way, way later. And, and it's going to be like most of my life zigzag. I don't know how many people get that straight line A to Z thing, but not me. Uh, every, the detours, twists and turns, just like what I try to write. So I was working a political campaign in Houston, and I got to Texas via television. Um, anyway, so I was working a political campaign, and the candidate's wife uh, is a published author. And so we were talking about writing, and I told her, I said, you know, writing became that space where I was so controlled in my years in television, you know, scripts had to go to the attorneys and, you know, it had to have certain angles and between the producers and the attorneys, it was like, well, you know, it started as mine, (laughs) started it in this way. Not always, but there was that pressure because it was somebody else's property. Yeah. And so I would write 
out of frustration, the things that were in my head, little twisty plots, little mini stories. And I told her about that. And she said, it's time for you to write a novel because she read some of my little short stories. And I said, oh, no, that's a lot of words. <laughs> we don't do a lot of words. I'm not used to that. So she said, no, there's coaches. And also that's when I started. Uh, I started with a coach and I had that kernel of an idea. I thought, you know, my background is so funny. I said, mm -hmm. well, maybe that'll give that lightness to the type of mystery that I'd like to write. So that would have started. Um, that would have been 2000. Three. Okay. So that's how late I started. Yeah. yeah. Well, but but having come to it, novel writing after a career as a journalist and a storyteller within those, we've talked about that before. And we've had so many, um, there's so many folks in Sisters in Crime who are journalists who have turned novelists. So they're letting those those ideas that they get through their interviews or through other things you know, there's seeds for other other ways of telling a story um, that it's, grow it, over time. It's true, because even though, and you know, people would laugh at us TV types, you know, I, I ended up at a press conference with a, a guy who used to be a Wall Street Journal. He'd tease me all the time. And he'd say, hey, Mario, you got your crayons sharp? And I'd say, no, but I have my audience. Yeah. So, you know, we're picking <laughs> each other. Because, you know, there was a TV reporter. We were supposed to be stupid and just worried about our makeup. You know, that whole yeah. stereotype thing, which it's not true. But what um, we had to do and I don't know if I see it as much today, but it was required to have jobs. Uh, we had to find ways to tell the same old stories in yeah. unique ways. And I think that really helped me with writing. The example I give people is uh, a young reporter might say, you know, the blaze broke out at 3 a.m., the apartment, da, 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 all of this. A seasoned reporter who was trained will say, this charred photo album is all that's left for the Smith family. Yeah. at three o'clock this morning, you know, you know. And so that yeah. was the way we had to show savvy in telling stories, find that thing. And I think that really, that helped me uh, with yeah. trying to, you know, catch up and, and transition into putting the story on the page. It's such a great example of an inciting incident, right? Like it's, it's, let's just jump right in there and talk about what happened and, and add the stakes, get people involved right away. So you've mentioned, um, and I, I love the phrases you use because um, you can be overcoached or you can be webinared out, but um, you really took this seriously as you did your entire career, um, this novel writing and this fiction writing and and went to build your craft. Could you tell folks about that? Because I think it's really a wonderful gift to let people know it's never too late and to, to you know... When once you've had success in this other career, it's incredibly vulnerable to say, "I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing." And and that's the gift you give yourself. But that's a hard step for people to take is to to say, "I'm not good at this," and I've been really good at my job for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think I I can't imagine not realizing because you know we were coached a lot on television. I mean. You know, I had been anchoring for years and got sent to anchor camp, like we used yeah. to call it. And I was like, my boss was like, I don't care. You're going. <laughs> Everybody can use a refresher, and not to mention the editors who would tear up scripts and things like that. So I didn't have a sensitivity to being coached. 
And I had a huge awareness that I was stepping into a territory I didn't know. I didn't know the rules. Like we had rules of script writing for news that were, you know, embedded into me. And I still know them today, but I was like, whoa, this is a whole new land. And so my very first coach was wonderful, Roger Paulding in Texas, and then Max Regan in Boulder, uh, Colorado. Those were the first two, God help them. They really <laughs> had to take me from one of them. I can't remember which one said, this is great. So what's next, sports and weather? It's like, you know, you can't tell this story in 30 <laughs> seconds, Myra. Let's, let's, you know, talk about those visuals. Give us the scene, you know, the basics that you guys have known forever. I had to be taught those things. But we all learn. And it, and also, it's interesting that you mentioned that you wrote a play, you know, you acted out and then uh, acted with, you know, your invisible friend, but you also wrote a play at 10, because that's not, that's all dialogue. That's just telling the story without all of the descriptions and the backstory and the internal monologues. And so you would hone those skills throughout your life and it's hard to let those go and realize I can spend some time talking about her memories of her childhood or you know reflecting on this restaurant decor I don't have to rush through that stuff I can actually share that stuff you're right and 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 that's the thing it was total opposite of my adult training in writing and and you know because right to video right to video you know, don't tell people, show them, show them, you know, yeah. the charred photo album, you know, yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. And I get it. That That's for that medium. And it's only going to be a minute and a half. So you got to pack a punch. Um, but you're right. The freedom. I finally started appreciating the freedom to describe things that I noticed as a person anyway. Yeah. You know, that that was a, a good little, uh, you know, a good thing. And I intentionally self-published. Because like you said, I knew I was in a learning mode. And I said, let me go ahead and self-publish once I've been coached out and webinar. Let me, you know, get it on the page. It's had three editors. It's done all this. And there's still some mistakes. I guess that can happen. Yeah. Um, but I said, let me see if anybody even wants to read this. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was my test or trial balloon and that that overly cautious nature that I've been bringing to this I said before I pitch anybody or get out there I just want to see can I do it yeah yeah and will anybody read it and right. and so yeah and and I got you know good response I mean I, I didn't hit any break any records but the number of book clubs the um you know the producer from a true crime thing calling me because of it you know some different activity online that really surprised me it just That's, did. Yeah. Well, you're bringing your your own history and your own, um, you know, experience, and then you're you're positioning yourself with this new medium, and that's exciting as well. Um, so that first book teaches you how to write a book. What? Let's talk about what drew you to write this story, and what you know the characters speaking to you, and so now you've got your invisible friends again, but you want them to show up and tell you the story and everything else. I mean, every writer hears that story. It's like, doesn't everyone have people <laughs> talking to because other people are like yeah i know where's the you know every writer will go yeah that's you know yeah i had that too yeah that is that's another great thing about community um 
but the story started to well up. Um, you know, so I had little pieces of stories all over the place. And I did have one that kind of played on my Creole culture. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, because the more my siblings and I, we would laugh about our parents, the things that used to embarrass us as kids, you know, everything from my father's uh, English as a second language uh, to, you know, his unique use of the English language, which in the middle of California can be embarrassing when you're a kid <laughs> and your father is like, well, you know what, daddy, that's not how that word is said, maybe. But, you know, that was embarrassing, but is now funny. And I realized because it's a subset of African-American culture, a lot of us who have a Creole background, we talk about the fact that the stereotyping in America very often just creates these clusters and assumptions mm -hmm. that everybody with a little more melanin acts the same way as other people with a little more melanin. And it's a ridiculous notion, but it's been around forever. forever. And what we realized is um, if you take the black and it's Creole is not a race, it's a culture. If you take the Creole culture, which has varying degrees of melanin by nature, yeah. it's a mixed race. If you take that and put that against the cultural bent in, in every way of someone, let's say, out of Georgia or Alabama or whatever, they, these are not the same practices, generally mm -hmm. speaking, not the same religion, mm -hmm. not the same palate, not the same foods, uh, not the same customs. There is a matriarchy that is assumed to be across all cultural lines. That's not true. The Creole culture is patriarchal. So the structures mm -hmm. are different. The mores are different. Mm -hmm. You know, you will come out at 15. You will have a cotillion. You will be a debutante, you know, similar to the quinceanera in the yeah. Latino culture. Um, and I don't know if that plays out with the same amount of pressure. So the pressures, the differences became fodder for me to play with yeah. and have fun with. But I created that undertone of pressure. Like when my oldest sister was told, you're 23 and you're not even engaged. This is unacceptable. Yeah. yeah. She was a lot older. That was that time. And I. Yeah myself what ridiculous pressure to place on a young woman that you're not worth anything and right. so I integrated that the movie my big fat Greek wedding where I saw somebody very publicly take the pieces of their culture and just you know take the pressure off and just say hey it's where we are you know and so I said you know what me go with that let me yeah. just go with yeah my aunt would talk about dead people as if they were sitting with her and I said you know what okay so we're weird and yes some of them had spells okay <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna lean into the voodoo and just not be embarrassed by it but they were Catholic <laughs> well, so they had those magic beads you know no offense to the to the Catholics like God knows I, I can repeat mass now but but I said, wait a minute, look at all this stuff. This is where we want to do murder. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so there's so much to unpack there, but let's just start with the um, the conversation you're having with readers about perceived monoliths or perceived like you think you understand a whole 
group of people based on these characteristics. Well, let me let me just let me let me help you with that. That's not true. And within your books, you also your characters are different. I mean, and, and that's humanity is different. And I think that that's a, an embracing, but also a um, a way to upend expectations and, you know, have fun with with your characters as well is a gift to readers to help them understand, you know, you don't know. Wow. <laughs> you, you, you hit it so much until you gave me kind of a chill there. I'm like, wow, she gets me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Because... Um, there, that's one thing about the, the fabulous stories that I've enjoyed. Many of them didn't have the diversity of my life, yes. you know, and it wasn't like I'm trying to do diversity. Hey, I'm pushing that we all get together and intermarry. You know, it isn't that it's that that is my family. Right. That is my life. You know, nobody ever thought our mom was our mom because she was too white looking. And so, you know, so you start there where you don't look like your mother and then your relatives marry every race on the planet. And then my children, (laughs) we have a legacy of this. And then my parents chose Berkeley. Yeah, I think they chose it because for his lifetime, it's been about 100,000 people. Big reputation, tiny city, you know? Yeah. Um, but Berkeley gave them the freedom to look different, to be different. Mm-hmm. We're talking the 40s and 50s and all this this time period. And so they felt quite comfortable there. What it did for us as children is that our neighborhoods were filled with every type of people. We went to school, we were babies with different types of people. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that was unique because that was all I knew until I got out and went other places. But everywhere I went, I gather different people. You know, I gather up people who don't look alike, who don't believe alike, you know, from the Buddhist monk to the party girl, you know, I just, that's just me. And I said, I want to read that. Mm -hmm. And why don't more people write and have all these colorful people, you know, that are just so much fun. And because I wanted to read it, that's why I started writing it. Yeah. You know, so I have in the Sarah Dissette, Jean-Louis, you know, one of, she's a former family therapist with psychic ability that she doesn't really want, Um, you know, and then this crazy cruel family and she's trying to be like, not that, but she has to give into it. But one of her, one of the characters that people have mentioned to me, Mr. Corwin, Older white guy, I mean, I know that guy. I've known that guy. He's fixated with her. She was his therapist. So when she stops practicing, he won't go away. And he's weird. He wears hats to protect him from evil thoughts, from the Jackie Kennedy pillbox, or he might show up in a Carmen Miranda. You know, he's up there. I was with a book club, and they said to me once, predominantly white book club, by the way, which happens a lot. And that's another story. But um, And they said, Whatever you do, don't you ever kill Mr. Corbin. <laughs> people love this guy. He's the weirdest little freak. He's like, you know, just crazy. And people are like, he's just, but you know, he's affected. He's, you know, a classic, you know, wealth. I mean, you know, he's had the um, the legacy of wealth. And so the money doesn't mean anything to him, but it's all about his issues. And he feels comfortable around Sarah. Mm-hmm. 
but he brings, you know, that, and, you know, and so there's other people in my mind, some are built on, I took two or three of my aunts, you know, and put them together to create a character also. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and that's everything from voodoo revenge to where's my rosary beads. Yeah. Or in the, in the, in the, uh, in the parlance, it would be, Miss go get me my beats, yeah. <laughs> get the beats. <laughs> I would tell people, I had an aunt, and my mama, my mama, Miss Shag, let me tell you something. <laughs> In your life, you need two mans. I said, why, Auntie? Why? You need one for love and one for money. You don't do that, you are damn fool. <laughs> <laughs> Does everybody get that advice? <laughs> no. Well, or maybe, but not, you know, again, I, I what I love about this is anyone from a, an eclectic family can hone in and, and connect with that, but not in the same way. So it's different, but it's similar. Does that make sense? Yes. That's totally. the gift of this, that this, this conversation and, and, you know, your characters. Um, but let's get back to the writing a little bit as you're inspired by your family, as you're, as you're um, sort of letting yourself breathe and write a novel. Um, what was the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you got for novel writing? I think the best piece of advice, um, Terry Shames, when she said, I had to take my writing seriously. Yeah. And I don't know if Terry realizes how much that resonated with me. I mean, we were just having dinner. And, and I was like, wow. And I'm, I have been guilty of, God forbid, putting making money ahead of my writing and things like that. And, you know, giving all right. to my, my day job and, and now my consulting and making writing that back burner thing. So that was the best advice. And I had to really come to terms with myself and say, Myra, are you in or are you out? Yeah. What are you doing? You yeah. know, so that uh, has been the best. The worst advice was, you know, through some of the webinars that we joke about, I, I hit upon a couple that gave me such stringent rules. It really kind of ticked at my confidence. Yeah. And so what I what I love about this group is that you hear over and over again, it's almost like you guys have this built-in qualifier, you guys, us, have a built-in qualifier of this is the rule. However, there are always exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. I I I you have to do something one way, uh, is is for my all the guests that I've had over these uh, many, many interviews, um, that's the one piece of advice people just push back. You know, you need to find what works for you. But I love the advice of you have to take this seriously. So you have to move it up into your life. It needs to be one of the top three or the top five things that you're doing. It can't just be, you know, a hobby. But that also for me, means that you are risking. You need to risk caring about your books and caring about the journey and caring about being a better writer and get yourself out there. And did you find that was was a barrier for you of like, you know, what happens if I fail? And, you know, and of course the reply to that is what happens Absolutely. if you fly. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably not as sensitive to that as most people because when you had a public career, I don't care if it's yeah. television or this or that, and I have had some national um, exposure, 
you kind of, that part kind of gets a little numb because people will criticize you. I had a lady call once and say, my eyebrows weren't even. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they, you, you just get accustomed to people taking pot shots because you put yourself out there. Um, I think what I was more worried about rather than opinion, but I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I want people to love the stories if it's their thing. Yeah. I don't want anybody to say she's done such a poor job at it. You see what I mean? Yeah. So if you don't like the content, that's different. If you don't like my style, that's different. But if you say I haven't learned to right. write well, right, that hits. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that does two things to me. It tells me I'm going to try to learn more. Or it tells me I need to assess whether or not I can ever do this in a way that it should be done. Yeah, I think one of the worst things that happened to, um, you know, books or movies or the thumbs up, thumbs down or the one to five stars, because that's not the conversation, right? <laughs> I mean, right. Whether you like something doesn't matter. Is it well executed? Is it an interesting story? That's what matters. Um, exactly. And as you're learning and you're growing and you're, you're, you know, your next book's always better than your first book. And, you know, every book, do you keep setting new challenges for yourself in your writing of how you're going to tell a story or points of view or anything else like that? I have. Um, and the thing is, I mean, you know, when I first started, friends were like, wait a minute you've done public relations on a large scale. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's almost funny because it's the cobbler's wife on steroids. Yeah. And, and, but, but what they don't get, what my friends don't get is that, yeah, I may have promoted large brands and corporations and been a spokesperson for candidates and, you know, elected officials, things like that. But the difference is I can't promote me. Yeah. You know, I keep redoing my bio because I have people say, wait a minute, you left out these things you've been doing. And it's almost like I want to hide. Well, yeah, I did do that. You know, that thing. I, I don't like that about me. I really don't. But I, first of all, marketing a book is a subset of marketing and public relations. And I respect all the people who know how to do that. Yeah. That's its own thing. You know, that's different. It's not pushing a political platform. It's not pushing a product. It's different, a different, you know. So I respect that I don't know that. I took you all the way around the world to tell you this. My next challenge is to see if there is an agent or if there is, you know, some organization that feels they can promote what I do. Mm -hmm. And so my challenge is to create the product that they feel they can sell and market. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I'm, you know, I'm in the process of creating a new character in a new location, still here in California, but, um, you know, up here near Sacramento, near the Capitol, so that I could get some of that energy going, lobbyists and things like that, you know, all that around here. Um, but mainly to see if I'm learning, if I've learned enough to, to pull that piece off. And I get it subjective. I get mm -hmm. it. Yeah, but it's also, um, you know, I think just to keep it interesting, right? You want to take it seriously, but you also want to keep having fun and be interested. Um, you know, that's that's part of the journey. So as this new character's coming in, 
and you're thinking about it, what's your process like for, you know, your series or for this new character as far as writing a story? Do you plot? Do you just, you know, wait till there's sort of a, you know, the charred photo album? Um, you know, you, you've gotten to that place before you start writing the book. How, what's your process like? I guess if I had to describe it, like a lot of things for me, it starts with a basic idea. Mm-hmm. I get this idea. I don't know. You know, like, uh, I'll start like with the, the first book. It's because my grandfather and my mom always said, push times make a monkey chew pepper. And that's a common Creole and Cajun uh, ex- expression. It means Hard, in hard times, you'll do things you never thought you would ever do. And so I started with that idea. That's why I named the book Push Times, Chewing Pepper. And then, and I said, oh, okay, let me take this successful woman, you know, have her, you know, victimized and have her then almost accused and then da da And then she has to solve and make her, yeah. her, her, her name clear. And so I start with that kind of idea. And then I start filling it in, um, you know, with... The second book, I started thinking, ah, secrets and spells and snake eyes. I love alliteration. How does that play? You know, I just, I guess I start with these concepts. And Mm -hmm. what I'm working on now, the trend here, I don't know about other places, um, trivia contests in in bars and restaurants is huge. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a trivia night going on. And so I thought, huh, I want to have a murder happen in one of those trivia restaurants. (laughs) So I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about other people's process, but I start with these ideas of like, ooh, because I, I really want to write one with the orchid community. I've spent a lot of time researching that. It's a wealthy community, and the orchid growers told me because I spent a day with them. They said we're so cutthroat. We're a perfect place for them. <laughs> they said we're so competitive. Well, it's also an opportunity. I mean, something like the orchid community is a cross like you're you all different when there's a shared interest so many different people can come to it you know it's sort of like a star trek convention or a trivia night i mean it's a ton of different types of people which adds a richness to the the novel as well that is exactly that was my thought now that is the pr person in me because i thought if i'm going to do these murders i want them to be in different communities yeah. You know, so then I and then we get to visit the committee, you know, because that's that's kind of what I like to do. I mean, I like to get around people who are so into stuff until it just makes interesting uh information because they just they glow when they talk to you about it. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, the orchid community, somebody said to me, Hey, why don't you take on, you know, the people with dog shows? And so so there's just there's so much out there. Yeah. You know, the quilters. I mean, who could put code better in something than a quilter? You know, there's just all these areas. I yeah. don't know how to get to them all, but they well up in my head. <laughs> well, and, you know, one of the ways that you and I have gotten to know each other is we, um, you worked on the Better Your Worlds, Better Your Writing course, and you talked about research. And more, you know, it, it's such a great section of the course because it's, it's deep diving. It's, you know, surface, but it's also getting to what's really important and talking to that orchid grower and not wasting time asking, you know, where they grew up, but getting to the, so how do you decide what kind of fertilizer? Doing enough research that you take advantage of that and 
connecting to the passion. And I think as a reporter, as a writer, that's the gift that you get and that you're talking about is how do I connect? How do I let the reader understand the passion for these folks, right? And I thank you for pulling that out of me because, you know, you guys were saying, yeah, you got to, you know, talk about your interviewing. And it made me think back and realize we had a really short deadline to produce what I call a little movie. That's what a news yeah. story is. What are your pictures? What's your content? What's yeah. your interviews? What stays in? What goes out? You know, you can work on it for about three, four hours if, right? And then it has to be done. It has to hit it. The clock will never change. It has to make it in. And I thought about that and I said, well, no wonder, no wonder when we get with people, we don't have time to ask you, oh, that we're like, hey, give me the meat of your life <laughs> in about five minutes. Tell me why the hell you exist. I yeah. mean, you know, and then I realized that's, like I said, thank you for bringing that to my attention. We sometimes forget. No, I don't do research like other people. No, yeah. because I had to cut to the core yeah. in a record amount of time. So I needed to know your value system. What makes you breathe? why you do or did what you did, why you don't do, you know, certain things like that, the motivation, the this, the that, I think get to like the real story. Yeah. Well, you know, not that you're on Elm Street. I mean, you know, that. But I also find when I talk to uh, journalists um, uh, and, and that, that, that methodology that you also remain open to whatever the story is. You don't go in saying, I'm going to tell the story of this candidate doing this thing. It's like, I'm going to do my research. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to be prepared. And it may be a story I didn't expect is the one that I'm going to tell. Exactly. You have hit on some of the biggest newsroom fights when the people in the office who are plotting out the day, and they call it a budget meeting. You know, they're plotting out how the news will flow every few hours. And you're out there talking to the newsmakers. Yeah. And you're saying, no, that's not the story. You know, I remember the transition. I think it may have been mid to late 90s when they started wanting to tell you, here's your story and here's your angle. Yeah. And those of us who were trained earlier times in that, we were like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, that's not how that works. Yeah. Like you said, you get there, that story may have an element that nobody could have predicted or anticipated. Right, right. I mean, that open, right, remaining open. And, and, and bringing in all that context and that, that different, you know, backgrounds or those just nuggets, again, you know, the nuggets of character or of of choices that people make that give them the humanity and help people connect. But you yeah. don't go into tons of details. Like, let me let me tell you about my aunt's beads slash rosaries and, you know, the Catholic culture and pre- right. So tied. I mean, it's not All dissimilar right. in many ways as far as, as things. <laughs> That's the funny part. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, and the connecting and how that works. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a gift, but I also, um, because of the brevity, because of the, I'm going to tell a story quickly. What did you have to unlearn from being a journalist? Oh my God. I, I really, especially had I come from newspaper, you know, I always give nods to them because they have to put a lot of words on the page. We literally would write sentences that were five to seven words. Yeah. Um, 
three lines a paragraph. I mean, it's just the structure of it and the nature of the medium where you cannot go long, you know, unless you have a heck of a documentary or you have the, the ability to breathe and you can do those long stories, which we used to enjoy sometimes. But anyway, I digress. Um, I had to learn to pull it out. Yeah. You know, and, and that was so hard. <laughs> it, it really was. I just, I, I really appreciate the people who worked with me because for a while I wondered if I was ever going to get it. Yeah. You know, I had the ideas, the ideas would just flow and flow and I could see people and stuff and all that. And, and then finally it hit me, this describe what you're seeing in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I said, oh, okay. But then, then there's that other challenge. But am I showing versus telling? <laughs> I know, I know. But I also, um, you know, when you're a journalist, you're meeting people at a point in their time, in their lives. And you could do the research and find facts and, and interpret them. But when you're a writer, you're meeting your characters at a time, but you can change the facts in order to provide more for them to work with. You know, I mean, that's yeah. uh, many writers I know, you know, a friend of mine was once stuck on the, the beauty shop was only open Tuesday, late Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And, and, but she needed this to happen on Wednesday and this and that, but for her timeline, she's like, I made all this up. I can have the beauty shop open late on Wednesdays. You know, it's like I don't have to. I can I can change anything because it's all my my imagination. You so still, you, that's that's another comforting thought. Yeah, yeah, when you've had to write in a box, and let's face it, I mean, if you write for a day job, you know, I've done speeches, ghostwritten articles, uh, white papers, you name it. And you're you're pretty much in a box. Yeah. You know, you're going to have a thesis that you have to carry through. You're going to have to have a certain motivation and a certain um, reason for being. And that's going to happen there. And and so that you brought up a good point to have that kind of freedom. Yeah. And it's funny that somebody has to tell you that when you're writing your own thing, like you tell your friend, yeah. dude, you're writing this. <laughs> oh, yeah. None of this exists in real life. It's like it's like the kid who's so used to having the controlling parents when they step outside, they're like, I can really run. You mean it? <laughs> yes, it's a playground. Run. <laughs> right. But that's also part, it is, it's funny, but it's also again, that's the thing you really need to learn. As especially when you start writing as a second career or after a successful first one, it's like, oh, I can be free. Like I, there's fun in this and I can do different things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I noticed um, many of the breakout writers that we know, they, they really did hear their own drummer. I, I'm starting to notice that. Some of them, the rules that the basic rules that were taught by some of the people who are well-intentioned but like the rules thing were broken by so many yeah. authors who said, eh, I have my own way. I'm, yeah. I'm going to do my own way. It's beautiful to have that inner freedom. Uh, you know, and it may work and it may not, but it it's you. And so I think there's some satisfaction in that. But I have noticed that so many of the authors, and there's too many to name, but 
they came at it with some sort of inner inspiration. Right. But they also did the work to understand what the genre was so that you can't break the rules until you understand them, <laughs> you and know? You put that beautifully in your course, in your lesson within our uh, Build Your World, Build Your Writing course. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love that because you're right. You, you don't, if you don't know the rule exists, well, then you're at a disadvantaged point. Yeah. And in crime writing, there is there are rules for different genres or subgenres or or you know playing fair with the reader and what that looks like if you're writing a traditional mystery. And um, you know, it's it's a lot to learn, but be and you can mix it up and mash it up, but understand what you're doing. You're so right. And and uh one of the one an amazing workshop uh that I was it was um, in uh, not San Francisco, but outside of San Francisco. And Kelly Stanley, the author, you know, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, she was reminding us, look, your reader wants clues. Yeah. They want a crime to solve. I mean, let's face it, all of us as mystery readers, we kind of have that thing of, oh, I could be Poirot. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you want something. And so let's remember to put those breadcrumbs out there. And that's another level of obligation for a writer that someone in another genre doesn't have. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, Katrina McPherson did a, um, it's sync into great writing. It's in the uh, webinar archives for, for members, but about putting clues in your books. Um, and again, you know, I've been writing for a long time and I was taking copious notes. I think that's the other thing is you're always learning. You, you know, you're always hearing something or thinking about something and, you know, this Better Your World's Better Your Writing course was a gift to all of us as writers because it's we were learning from each other and it just make it it just something resonates or kicks it off or sort of gives you the courage to leap forward or to try multiple points of view or to do something differently. Um, and and that's a gift as well to keep pushing yourself. Totally a gift. I I enjoyed it because of the fact that it is um, you know that communal sharing. It's it's that learning from your peers who are at varying stages. But everyone offered that freedom of, you know, yeah, we learn this way. You know, experience, understand, and be you. You yes. know, that's kind of the the um, that was kind of the backdrop of it for me. Yeah. In, in every course, it just it gave you that sense of you can do you'll be OK. You know, it just had a certain level of comfort to it. I, I really enjoyed it as a participant and as taking the courses, <laughs> taking the course. But Myra, we also uh, we've been talking about this uh, during this conversation. I think one of the wonderful things about now is that there are different stories and different people writing stories and different points of view and and you're learning about different um lives and and the richness and the diversity but we need to be intentional and informed and create no harm as we're doing that so you know for me to write a creole family i could maybe do it but is 
Is it my story to tell? And what do I have to do in order to make sure it's authentic? It's not causing harm. It's it's resonating. And and why am I asking myself, why am I telling this story? Like, why am I telling this story? Um, and I think that that's uh, another layer that we're adding as writers right now, but we really need to. Is this our story to tell? And and I don't think people in the past have always stopped themselves. And now I think it's not a bad thing to be a little bit uh, reflective as you're as you're doing things. And you know, do I understand this community well enough to write this character? And if I need to, what do I need to do to understand it? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, there are so many times when any of us can feel misrepresented. Yes. Now, I was looking at a thread where um, some of my friends in Texas felt that there was a play. I can't remember which one. And I probably shouldn't name it anyway. But they were upset because the representation of the Texas accent, the Texas mm. Southern accent, wasn't accurate. They said it leaned more Alabama. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. and But I respected the fact that they were they were not happy with that. When I hear Creole accents depicted by Hollywood, I can't say I've ever heard one that's authentic, that sounds like my old relatives. Mm -hmm. You know, from childhood, I've heard that accent. I can't even imitate it accurately. I've heard it all my life. So, you know, what what I made sure to do, because I think you make a great point, I made no assumptions. I have lived in Louisiana, even though I was born and raised in the Bay Area. Um, and I've done television there where people corrected me about my own name. You know, they'd call the station and say, her name is really right. She's saying it wrong. You're like, wow, dude, you're really going to tell me how to say my name. All right. Okay, that's where we are. But it's okay. I didn't get angry. But, you know, but I double checked. I even, uh, a girlfriend there who I used to work with in Baton Rouge, and we were at the ABC station there together when I was building my career chops. And so she even recommended a um, a Creole French dictionary. Yeah. So I told her, because I'd go to her, I'd say, uh, how is it this word going on? So I remember bits and pieces. And she said, look, get this dictionary. So I said that to say, even though I have that culture in me, I didn't take any chances. I double checked things with other people called cousins in New Orleans or whatever, to double check things and say, am I remembering this right? Not that every family is a duplicate, but there are certain things. Yeah. Oh, wow. I just am thinking about it. There are certain things that are not Creole. How about that? I just, I just figured that out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 again, I do think we're in a golden age. I hope it continues and I, and, and people keep resonating. I mean, as somebody who lives outside of Boston, that accent is never done well unless somebody is from Boston. I mean, I know everybody wants to imitate you guys, but but we don't get it right. Yeah, Ben Affleck gets it right because he's from here. <laughs> um, but I I I think that this is part of the joy of being a writer, um, and part of our job is to to make sure we try and get it right, but also to to add these layers of interesting people and experiences um, in our novels that reflect our lives. You know, that I think was the other surprise for me because I thought, oh, you know, this will be amusing. But most of the people 
who have either invited me to share, you know, with their book club. And I've done some virtual book clubs and things like that. And people who want to talk about it, the main thing they they talk about is the Creole culture, how there were things that, and that was the surprise. I just thought, oh, okay, a few people might find, but most people, the thing in the book was the cultural stuff. Yeah. And that became very uh, attractive and interesting to them. Yeah. It was like, we don't hear about this every day. And that's when I realized, yeah, you really don't. Not in an, not in an accurate way, not in an authentic way. And not done with love. That's the thing. You're can you connect to it because it's your. I love the way you describe it. It's your parents, but it's not you, but it's them, but it is you. Um, and so you have a a love, uh, and and uh, uh, you want to explore and share. And I think that that also resonates. Is is you know the passion is there, and it goes back to research. It goes back to what we've been talking about earlier. Is you know when you're talking to that orchid grower. You may not, you're never going to tell your reader everything you found out about orchids, but you're going to share the passion that these folks have for that soil type or for whatever they're doing. And you can share that passion without going into the pH levels of the, you know, you're going to know so much more, but what you're going to tell people is there's incredible passion in this community. And and, and being open to knowing, you know, context, you know, to learning context, because, you know, one of those orchid growers, one guy with the 6,000 plants, and I mean, they have thousands. We're talking people who have ginormous greenhouses at home. They're all in. They do international ex- competitions. Expensive yeah. hobby. And I mentioned to him, I said, you know, this is the story I'm thinking about. And, and I said, I have this ingenious way for the murder to happen because they find the body in the greenhouse. And the poison gas, remember that was in the news a few yeah. years ago? I said, so this poison gas will come through the mistress. He said, stop right there. He just, he said, we spend too much money on these. We will not put gas in the mistress because orchids have to have humidity. Yeah. They have to have the misting. And he said, there is no way we would do that. Now, isn't it great that I mentioned that rather than to create an, an, it chapters on this thing. Right, right. Right. And then he said, I'll tell you how to kill her, which yes. I won't say because I do want to write this one day. <laughs> and it was brilliant. Yeah. And I wouldn't have, I would never have come up with it. Yeah. No. And that's, but that's again, the doing the research and being open to what you learn instead of saying, tell me how to make the mistress the murder weapon <laughs> and having them convolute something that wouldn't, that doesn't resonate instead being like, okay, then you tell me how to do it and finding this other way of doing it. I'm you know, it, it, it ties to the earlier point like that, that you were making. So yes, we have the freedom, but if I'm talking to, and I want to include the orchid community and I want them to see the authenticity inside the fun. I can't create some of the sins of their community. I don't know any yeah. other way to put it. Yeah. And damaging or putting the plants in jeopardy is a big no-no. <laughs> and so it was important to know that. They can have fun with the other pieces, but that wouldn't have been fun for them. They yeah. wouldn't have heard that in a way that they would have enjoyed. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that that, 
that lesson resonates on on a lot of different areas of of writing and and exploration. So you have touched a little bit on community, but as we're you know wrapping up this fascinating conversation, you and I could talk for days. Uh, <laughs> we could do our own podcast series just on talking about life. Um, but um, tell me what community has meant to you as far as the well in your career in general, but in in writing, what has the writing community meant? Oh my God! Well, the first surprise was the kindness. Because I literally told one of my friends, this can't be real. You know, I, um, <laughs> well, to show you how much I didn't know, first I joined Sisters in Crime National because I can't remember if my sister, a retired librarian, mentioned it to me or Susan Shea, an author that I met. I don't know who first. I can't remember. But I joined. And there were shifts at the LA Times Book Festival. I was living in Southern California then. And I was like, What? You mean I get to go there and I can have a table? <laughs> so, so anyway, so I took advantage of the, you know, how you guys split it in two yeah. hours. And I jumped on that. I was like, because I had heard about it and I never thought I'd be boothing there as we yeah. call it. And the people who knew that this was my first time, the first that I knew, uh, you know, experienced anything like this, were giving me advice, you know, saying, oh, look. Um, you don't need to pull out all these books. Then this is, and so you bring a few, just basic advice. And I told some of my longtime friends, I said, this community is so nice. I mean, in terms of generous with information and encouraging, mm -hmm. you don't necessarily find that in some of my past careers. Yeah. Yeah. Not to that extent. So that was the other, I mean, sisters on the reading edge, People know them nationally as the women of color who were asked to leave a wine train in Napa because uh, they were laughing loud. Now, you knew yeah. that was a problem. And it turns out, I, I think there was some young woman who had moved from somewhere else who was working there. And, and that's where all the fuss started. However, it ended up being a big legal case. And they were on Today Show and all that. Well, before that incident happened, they discovered my books and invited me to one of their, um, you know, panels interestingly i i had no idea i walk in they have shirts they have two three hundred people in the wow. event i was like whoa this is a book club on steroids yeah but they were so encouraging i started by saying hey i'm just you know i just am doing a kindle book one woman got up from the audience and said we really enjoyed your book and you need to have it in print because some of us want to print book. I mean, it was a cute little scolding. <laughs> I just, I just, I took it in and I embraced it. So <laughs> those are the, the surprises that it's a community that embraces a little faster than a lot of other communities. And it's a community where people share information and have that type of camaraderie there doesn't seem to be the sense of competition mm -hmm. as much as some of my past lives. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with that. I've often joked that I think crime writing communities are, are kinder than other, even other writing communities because we work it out. It's yeah. like on nice. the page. It's like, if you don't like somebody, you just, you know, <laughs> terrible things will happen to them in your book. So you've exercised that angst. So when you're together, it's just about seeing each other. And I agree. I think that um, 
no matter where you are on your writing journey, find your community. You know, even if you're whispering to yourself, I want to write a crime novel someday. You know, you're not even saying out loud, join Sisters in Crime, join another community so that you can meet people who understand. Who understand is the biggest piece of what we're talking about. You know, I guess everyone has this experience. The moment you write a book, well-meaning, well-intentioned friends and relatives want you to write for them. Yeah. They have no idea how much it takes. They have no idea the focus, the time commitment, the resources, the research, everything that goes into writing that one story is massive. I can't imagine the hours some of the writers in our group, you know, dedicated to putting out their books. And for someone to ask you to do that, they really don't understand how much is involved. Right. Whereas this is a community where people understand and they know, you know, yeah, it's the slit your wrists and bleed like Hemingway. You know, it's it is that it takes every bit of that and then some. And no one asks anybody to write a book for free or or even if for pay. I mean, it's just a huge undertaking. Well, and I also enjoyed hearing you talk about the the strategic thinking, you know, so writer is one part, published author is another part, and they are not the same thing. Um, but as you're thinking about your career and where you want it to be in five, 10 years, you know, is there an opportunity to work with an agent, to work with a different, you know, publishing house to, to you know, to explore different things just to see what that, where that takes you. But the writing's still good. You know, this character who's showing up in your brain right now, this orchid story i could just tell because i see the way you light up you're going to write this book <laughs> so <laughs> it may it may be indie published it may be the thing that gets you that you know but you're going to write this book because yeah. you're a writer and this story is in you and you're just yeah. you know you just glow when you talk about it's it. three quarters there so yeah. you're, you totally got it and, and yeah exactly and and i am going to do these things the the thing that i realized though is I need help with the pieces of the journey that I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't promote a book. Mm-hmm. You know, I've promoted many things, but this is not my jam, as the kids would say. Yeah. This is not something I know. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not that major of a social media strategist either. You know, I help people with other strategies and I get paid for it, but I know what my strong suit is. Yeah. And I know what it's not. Yeah. And so that's a part of it, too. Um, I would like to have when I'm ready, when I have it, uh, the help. Yeah. The yes. No help. Well, and I also think promoting yourself is never easy. Promoting somebody else is easy. Right. It's like, oh, she's got a book out. And have you read this and this audio? You know, but then when it comes to yourself, even if you're good at it, it's not as easy. So I think it's also finding your team and finding your community who's going to help celebrate and help you amplify the the noise as well. And there there are, you know, certainly organizations within um, the crime writing community who are so good at that. Um, and help and support each other. Yeah, exactly. This community, Sisters in Crime, I mean, you know, I um, I just don't know any 
because I don't know of any community that is so supportive like this. I mean, it is huge. It's huge. And all the resources and tools you ever want, you know, you can go to the website and find editors and find this and find recommendations on different things. It's a a place to start, but it's a place to live. I mean, it really is Mm. both of those. It is. And and there's also Crime Writers of Color, which is an amazing organization that talk about amplifying, right? And supporting and and celebrating. Um, So, uh, you know, for for folks you should be following crime writers of color on social media um, uh, and, and, you know, and retweeting and, and listening. Cause that's also the way everyone serves different purposes um, yeah. as far as things go, but community is necessary to, to be a writer. And we don't understand that when you start out. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. That's yeah. A, we learn. <laughs> yeah. And we really? learn, we sure do. Myra, thank you for a great conversation and for all you do for Sisters in Crime. Um, we, As I said, we could make this a series, but um, and perhaps will. Um, but this was great, and I cannot wait to read this Orchid book, so let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, huh, Julie? <laughs> hey, you and Nira Wolf, Orchids, it's a, it's a way to go. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Well, thanks so much. I, you know I've enjoyed it. Like you said, you and I could talk all day. Yeah. Like, ridiculously it's fun. it's fun. I know. so no it's been fun and um and thank you for inviting me oh my pleasure thank you for being with us today sisters in crime is about community we were founded to advocate for women crime writers and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.